It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Good morning, good morning, everybody. I'm L. Joy Williams, your host here at Sunday Civics, teaching you the civics you need to get civically engaged. And I have a really, really great issue that I need your attention on for the next 50 minutes. <laughs> and I brought a sister back to the front of the class. We had so much fun. I done planned four or five of the episodes that she gonna bring more people to the front of the class for us to have. I cannot wait. But today we're gonna talk about building a judicial bench because I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to the news lately, but there is a lot happening in terms of decisions on court cases that people have trouble with or, you know, certain senators deciding to resign from committees because they're not being able to do all that they're supposed to do in ensuring that we build a great federal bench right now. So there's a lot of conversation on, going on about the courts, and I'm not even talking about the Supreme Court because, honey, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> but I am bringing to the front of the class, back to our classroom, my sister girl. We still going to go on tour. Don't worry. I'm going to do a, a Holly and Joy mixtape. Holly, Holiday is back with us. Hey, Holly. Hey, girl. Yes, I'm here for the mixtape. Okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do the civics mixtape and we're gonna, you know, we've got we we're gonna do our little tour situation. Yes, make my little hip hop heart happy. (laughs) And also, you brought a guest with you. Look at you bringing guests to my classroom. I absolutely love it. Listen, I know when I find good spaces, you know, I believe in crowding them up, and so hopefully, this is just one of the many fabulous black women that I can bring to the class, and this one. Madam President, as I refer to her, is going to be a killer. Well, listen, I certainly appreciate that because I don't believe in hoarding spaces. I don't believe in hoarding information. So if you find spaces and you are learning something from this space... It should be, you should be, consider yourself an evangelist and go out into the streets and to the highways and the byways. That's what they used to say to us, right? You go out to the highways and to the byways. I never knew what byways were, but (laughs) it was like you go out to the highways and the byways and you tell the people the good news and you bring them in. So apparently Holly went and told the good news on the byways and she has brought Sister President to the front of the class. Welcome to the front of the class for the first time, Lenita Baker, who is the national president of the National Bar Association. Welcome to Sunday Civic, sis. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And I look, just listen to you all. I'm already, the energy is already there and I am (laughs) ready because you, my, my dear friend Ben Crump says, what good is education or knowing things if we're not sharing it and, and spreading it and using it to help progress our community. So I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Because what you gonna do with the information? You gonna take it to your grave? What you do? Like what you gonna do with it there? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, 
you know, you, you need to start right. it. You didn't let nobody know. You didn't improve anybody's situation. Like, let, let's get to it. Come like, on. So now, Lenita, this is your first time in front of the Sunday Civics class. And I, I, I want people to hear directly from you the question that we ask all of our guests for their first time. We, of course, heard from Holly about hers. But I'd love to hear the story of your first civic action. So I'm going to start with a little bit about my first civil engagement was running for for a high school class officer. People don't necessarily think of that as civil action, but I I am a firm believer of if you see something wrong and you want to change it, you have to be a part of it. You can't just complain from the sidelines. So that's first. But my first, the, the first, you know, prominence being an adult. I remember in high school, a young man was shot by police officers ridiculous amount of times. He was unarmed. And in my political black political thought class, our professor was just talking about it. And he's like, I'm going to a protest this evening. And I showed up at the protest like rah-rah. So so just civil action. And since then, you know, I, I've always made sure to to be a part of the solution, not just again complaining, not just sitting back and watching, not saying it's not my problem, it's not impacting me, but I made a vow to always be a part. So voting, you, you never have to ask me if I'm voting. Yes, yes, yes. I don't care if it's primary. I don't care if it's homeowners association. I'm voting. So I love that. I mean, you know, I have stock in some companies and you know, when they send you that little booklet and you don't know nothing about, you don't know nothing about these people that about to serve one of these things. I'm like, I got to vote because I got 2.7 shares. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. my 2.7 shares. Because if you didn't vote, those, those people that made it in mess up. and let me tell you holly i learned that from reverend jackson when i was working with him on the wall street project yes and he talked about the importance of owning stock so you have the ability to you know gather proxies and then go to stakeholder you know go to shareholder meetings and demand equity and this this is back you know the early aughts yeah. <laughs> and you talk about, you know, going into those corporate spaces if you're a shareholder and being able to gather enough proxies to be able to speak, to be able to bring issues of labor rights, of equity and things of that nature. So, you know, Lenita, as you say, if I got voting rights, I'm going to vote whether I got 2.7 shares. <laughs> or, or not. I, I, I threw in my homeowners association. So we got a Facebook page with my homeowners association. So when I saw that election, I was like, let me go see who be the craziest. Listen. Page. <laughs> <laughs> and we got some bad at people. So in 2020, when <laughs> so Listen. I was one of the attorneys for Breonna Taylor's family here in Louisville. And so during all of that going on in 2020, I had only been in my house about a year and a half, someone had texted me that lives in the neighborhood that knows that I live over here. And they're like, can I mention you in the Facebook page? I'm like, you know, it's too many offices that live in this neighborhood. And I don't know if <laughs> I live over here too. Like if they don't already know, right? So I, I was like, what made her ask that? So I went to the page to look and you had one person that had wrote, uh, I want to let all of the police officers in the neighborhood know that we appreciate you and you're not alone. Oh, and Lord. We had an ally come on the page. I just want to let all our black neighbors know that we appreciate you and that your lives do matter to us. And somebody came on her post and was like, 
this isn't appropriate. She's like, why is it not appropriate for me to say we value our black neighbors when y'all are And I like, I, again, the neighborhood has about 600 homes. So like you, I'm looking through the little page and you see the, the different black neighbors that you know, and they're liking <laughs> her post and, and going, but you know, you just take stock. And so when we came around to that homeowners association, let me see who's on here that I need to make sure I don't vote for because they obviously have an issue when you say black lives matter, but we we ain't said nothing when you say the blue lives matter. So yeah. Child, them neighborhood association <laughs> groups will get you every time. If that is not the front lines of democracy right there, nothing is. <laughs> what you learned in the homeowners association, let me tell you, you want to talk about putting your money where your mouth is. I've been fighting my homeowners association about a little plot of land is this big and who gonna mow it and oh lord jesus it's a whole situation so that's the front lines right there yeah listen that's democracy with a little d but a whole lot of headache because <laughs> <So, laughs> it's already sleep every night <laughs> exactly. we gotta know we can trust the folks they're gonna, <laughs> they gonna be a rat tat tatting on your door <laughs> for, for this small little thing <laughs> so i appreciate so very much the both of you for coming this morning to have this conversation because there's a lot going on about our legal system. Like I said, it's a whole nother show to talk about Clarence Thomas and his rant, you know, his ongoing issues on the Supreme Court. That's, you know, separate and apart. But one of the things that people don't have a basic grasp are, are just as we have various levels of the government, right? Local, state, and federal. There are also that same level of repeats as it pertains to our justice system. And there are different levels of the court system and, you know, where you go and things of that nature. People only consider, like, I'm going to sue you and I'm going to go down to the courthouse if you live in a local town. But there, it, it's a, a very, you need a, a, a flow chart <laughs> to see the many instances of our court systems that overlap and, and, and things of that nature. And I'm you know, want to start, Lenita, by giving just a basic framework of that judicial system and that there are many different places where we have an opportunity to have our voice heard in terms of either electing judges, judges that appear directly on our ballot, or electing people who then appoint judges, and then the lack of diversity that exists within that system as well. So I, I'm going to give the floor to you first to so just give us that basic primer of the judicial system. So you have, there, there's two trains of thought. Some people love appointed judges. Some people want all elected judges and they both have their pros and cons, right? So in federal, at the federal level, all of the judges are appointed. No one's electing federal judges. Most are appointed by the, not most, all are appointed by the president. Although most state senators will have some input on candidates within their state. And that's every everything from district court magistrate to the Supreme Court of the United States. And then in between the, the district court, you have the uh, circuit court, court of appeals, and they have representation from, from the states within their circuit. Mm -hmm. So those are all appointed. States vary. Some have straight out elections. I'm in Kentucky where we are. We do elect our judges on the local and uh, Supreme Court. So our 
we have three levels of court. So every state's going to be different too. So Kentucky, most of the time when I'm referencing, I'm going to reference ours because it's easy to me. Uh, we have district court, which is our lower level courts. We have circuit court, which is the, the next level of trial courts. District courts is trial court too. Circuit court is the next level of trial courts, which are felony, criminal offenses, and higher stakes civil litigation. Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court of Kentucky. All elected. If there's a vacancy, that's when the judge appoints or when the governor appoints. But that appointment has to be followed by a special election on our next scheduled election. So the appointments only last until the person is either elected to keep the seat or someone else is elected. And then some states do a combination of we're going to appoint judges. It's straight out appointments. You can only do so many terms or you can be appointed for life. Some states I learned just like Michigan, if you're going to turn 70 during the, your term that you can't run again. I see some issues there, but that, that that's one of the things. So I know of a lot of our judges that retired there and, and with those positions being appointed by their governor to re- replace. And as you mentioned, diversity being a big issue there. And so depending on where you are and where you're located, elections, the problem there is we have so many people that go and just pick the name that they know. They don't know anything about the candidates. And I think for our communities and our people, we have to do a better job of learning more about the candidates or, that are running for to be our judges. We see so much happening at the legislature level. Talk about that balance of power. I, I truly think that our courts need to be the stopgap to eliminate some of these bad laws that are being passed in legislature, whether it's don't say gay, whether you can't teach black history, you know, all the stuff. Our courts are supposed to be the, 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 the entity that upholds the rule of law. And what we're seeing right now is that it, judges are not upholding that nonpartisanship that they're supposed to and, and aren't ruling based on the rule of law, but are ruling based on political parties and political ideologies. And that's the problem we're having. Yeah. So, you know, Holly, in I find myself saying this a lot. Even with all of these policies and issues and laws and things that we're debating and things are happening, where I say there is what should happen in an ideal world. And then there is the reality that we're dealing with at this current time. So in an ideal world, my partisanship shouldn't matter. We should have judges who can be fair, who can, you know, make decisions based upon the information that is presented before them you know, on a case-by-case basis because it's literally a case. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that is in an ideal world, in an ideal situation. But we're living in an environment where we have to adjust because we're in this extreme polarization across the board in our democracy. And so it requires, you know, bending further different ways in order to get some semblance of balance. We see that in the Supreme Court. Like the conversation is no longer about how can we get the best justices who are fair and impartial, you know, and can make decisions on what's, you know, what's best in a court. Like that's, no, it's just like, we got a Republican, we got to appoint Republican judges, we got a Democrat in, we got to appoint Democratic judges. It's, It's become this sort of polarization that makes it difficult to get to that ideal world. and. 
I know I'm living in a fantasy land to believe that we could ever get there. But Holly, is there any hope politically of like making well, sure getting to know, a point like that? You know, who knows is the real answer. But I'm gonna, you know, I'm always the optimist. I'm always gonna bring a little hope to the table. And here's what I would say. First thing, before you even get to courts, you start with lawyers. And so what we need to recognize and understand is that it is lawyers who are really deciding who's in this pool. So so where we can begin to start to make a difference is we need more diversity in who who, who are our lawyers. You can't be a judge in most cases without being a lawyer first. And guess who monitors lawyers? Other lawyers. (laughs) And so one way I think we can begin to make a difference here, and this is one of the reasons why I brought President Baker to the front of the class, is because being a part of a law association like the National Bar Association is where we start to set those parameters for what we anticipate and expect from our colleagues and particularly our judicial colleagues. But she's right about another thing, and that is why we why I was so excited to be on today's in today's class is because we also have to spend some time educating people around what it is to be a judge because in some cases whether it is by election or even appointed in my home state of Missouri where I'm licensed to practice law judges are initially appointed but guess who they get appointed by a citizen commission a citizen commission appoints them and then they run in what we call an affirmation ballot, which means you 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 vote to whether or not to retain and you ask, are they doing a good job? But there are roles for us to play as regular citizens. And part of it is just being educated and understanding because believe it or not, they're making decisions about your life, whether you're in that courtroom with them or not. Absolutely. Now, we did a show some time ago in my Who Who We Elect series talking about judges. And I think, Lanita, you pointed out very accurately that oftentimes the judges that we elect, right, you know, you go to the voting booth and see the names and it's the first time you've seen the name if it's not a local community and you kind of know the, you know, the local judge or something, or you see their name or it's on a pin that you get at the bank, you know, or something like that. Right. So the small towns have greater access to information about the candidates that are presented before them. But if you're in larger areas, metropolitan areas and things like that, I often think about here in New York, I know some of the judges' names because they come before the NAACP, they come before the local Democratic Club, they come, you know, they're going about, there are rules on what they can campaign and they can do in certain areas, but they come out and come about and sort of talk about things. But for the average person, there isn't that information. And Holly, there is an information that a citizen council actually appoints this you know, person or reviews their history. Or if I even know this person was a good lawyer or a lawyer at all, because in a lot of instances across the country, you don't have to be a lawyer or have practiced law in order to be a judge. So it makes it very difficult when you're talking about building a bench and starting at starting on are you good lawyers? Do you know the law? Whatever. When the information is not readily available, yeah. I can yeah. you know hear from people that that's very frustrating. You want me to choose, but then I don't have any information to choose. 
But I, yeah. I also push that back to, to the community as well, because I know here, my, the local chapter for the National Bar Association, the Charles W. Anderson Jr. Bar Association here in Louisville, Kentucky, every time that we have judicial elections come up, we host candidate forums. Let's be honest. I'm a lawyer. The candidate forums aren't for me. I know who I'm voting for because I know the people, right? But the candidate forums are for our community. But who do you get in the room? You get more of the lawyers that are coming because we don't want our event to be empty or you're getting, you know, family members of ours. And so it's the information's out there. But I think it's also, Eljoy, as you mentioned, NAACP, I think it's incumbent upon all of our, our legacy organizations. So National Bar Association chapters, NAACP, Urban League, we need to get together more and, and be more strategic about making sure that our communities know who these people are, because even with appointing bodies, as Holly mentioned in Missouri, there's some political aspects to that. When we have vacancies and the governor's going to appoint, there we know who the three people going to come out, uh, who are going to come out the top before the nominations even close. So <laughs> there's still political aspects to it. And so we just have to always be involved. Mm -hmm. And I think as black lawyers, it, it is incumbent upon us. We, we practice in these communities we got to let our people know who's good, who's not. You know, with Brianna Taylor, the judge that signed the warrant, everyone focused so much on making sure she got out. And thankfully, she lost by just over 2,000 votes in the last election. But we had 42 other judges that we were voting on. So I'm sitting here like, hey, like people are like, why are you posting on that race as much? Because everybody knows not to vote for her. I got to make sure people know the other 42 people to vote for. <laughs> You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's a lot of a lot of information. I, I want to take a break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about building the infrastructure for that bench <laughs> of judicials and what that looks like and what people can do in, in, in terms of being able to do that. So we'll take a break right here and then we'll come back and sort of talk about building the infrastructure of building a more diverse judiciary. We'll come right back. Schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Who is the teacher? Welcome I back to Sunday Civics. I'm L. Joy Williams. And joining me at the front of the class is my girl, Holly Holiday. Hey, Holly. And Lenita Baker, the president of the National Bar Association. And we are talking about building a judicial bench, a diverse judicial bench, one that we're primarily concerned in making sure that there are more Black women in the judiciary up and down the line from the local mm -hmm. to the federal. The infrastructure needed in order to build that diverse judiciary bench. Holly, you mentioned something about it starts with lawyers. But, you know, Lenita, I wanted to give you an opportunity from the Bar Association's perspective. Like what needs to happen in order to build a more diverse judiciary? I think in general, we have to be more strategic. And I think, you know, Holly did a, an excellent job as we were working to get Justice Jackson confirmed and, and, and put through. But we have to be more strategic about making sure we're supporting potential candidates, especially for that federal judiciary to be appointed and to, to to be successful in the, the confirmation process and, and eventually becoming what well, nominated. So nominated, confirmed, and then appointed onto the bench. We just have to be more strategic in making sure we can create a collective community. I think so many times as Black organizations, we tend to separate and want to separate our, our efforts. 
But if we learned anything through through like Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson's conference, like if we learned anything through that process, is we are stronger together. Yeah, that that that, that is absolutely true. Can I just want to say just on that, you know, and we've been able to leverage the infrastructure and the relationships that we built in her confirmation to advance other Black women to the federal bench. You know, I think it is important to note that, you know, if we look at the, you know, just the process of that is, it is very onerous. And, you know, to date, as of March 26, we have confirmed 26 Black women to the federal bench. We have another six pending. And we've been able to monitor to keep the pressure up, to keep women's names in the mix because we built from the work from Katanji Brown-Jackson. So having those opportunities isn't just about the one person, but it's doing what Vice President Harris said so artfully. She's the first but not the last. And she created an opportunity for us to create infrastructure to ensure that she's not the last. And part of that is seeding the bench, you know, that leads up to the Supreme Court. You know, one of the things that you mentioned, the campaign regarding Justice Jackson is in listening to the hearings around her, you know, during her nomination and how so many people around her and in her network said, we knew this was going to be the end, right? Like we knew we were going to get her there. She knew this is what her thing. And so how people helped prepare, you know, helped, you know, knew to, you know, that she was destined for this and the community around you that does that. And it reminds me, Holly, I remember being, I was on another podcast for years before and even in my community or whatever, how the community says, you know, Joy going to be somebody. So, you know, we got to, we got to protect her. She can't be everywhere. (laughs) And they were right. She can't be everywhere. She can't do nothing. Like I have cousins right now, like when they be about to do something, this family reunion and and they're like, yeah, let's go to so-and-so. And I'm like, all right. And they'd be like, not you. And I'm like, why can't I go? And they're like, you're going to be somebody. You can't be up in, like, you know, so that there is a community around, a family around that that sort of knows your trajectory, knows your thing. And that community is helping to prepare you, whether it's bringing you food as you're studying for the bar exam, you know, making sure you're not in places you don't need to be so we don't come up in nomination, uh, you know, sort of all of those kinds of things, right? Like there is this, and I'm using that as a... <laughs> you know, euphemism, but more importantly, that there is a community and an infrastructure around you that knows the places that you are trying to go. And so it reminds me, uh, Lenita, of what are those spaces of us identifying those people, whether it's the federal bench or whether it's local benches, right, of community being able to identify people and rally support and community resources around people that we know we need to have on the bench. So when the, somebody is retiring, it is not the same three names, you know, or the same family, you know, that is going to be considered for these positions we now have people in position that if we make the demand or if we've helped elected help elect governors and sort of all these pieces, we can say, all right, here's the bench list. 
<laughs> like it's not the same families and the same grouping. Like you now have a more diverse that is not only includes black women, includes Asian women and includes, you know, LGBTQ and sort of all like this more diverse opportunity so that it's just not the same good old boys that we're used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's the, that collective knowledge again. I, I know I keep saying that, but you know, Holly may not know someone that I know that would be a, a good candidate. Eldroy, you may know someone in Louisville that I don't even know, you know, that like, oh, well, you know, and it's the putting forth the efforts to make sure that whoever has the connection to get that person's name in front of the the, the right, because it, it, it's a who you know, and, you know, to an extent, but I hate that we have to do so much of, Eldroy, as you said, we're we going to protect the, 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 the chosen folks at, at, at all costs. But it's only us that have to do that because like you're right, Justice Jackson was her her record was spotless. She held herself with with such composure. I know I'm never gonna I won't say never because you know only God knows, but I don't know that I could sit there and, and take the the questioning in the in the way that they were attacking her. The way that oh, she- I know, I know. <laughs> oh, you ain't even I got to. That was times I had to turn the TV off, walk out the room, leave. Holly, the I wanted all- to. No, no, no. I I wanted to run up, and she wasn't even my friend. <laughs> and, and and so I say that though, but then you look at the the person who was you know confirmed two people before her in oh, in, in Kavanaugh and the way he acted in in his confirmation hearing mm-hmm. and had. Justice Jackson even did a fraction of what he did. She wouldn't have been confirmed. Like, we know that. So it's just us. So I I say that to say I hate that we have to, and we do it to ourselves, but we know that we do it to ourselves because we know that other people do it. And sometimes I hate when they're like, well, some people fold and do the, but we don't have to uphold those standards. Yes, we do. Quit fooling yourself. Like, we we, we do have to uphold those standards. We have to, to be twice as good. To, to get halfway yeah. there. So but for um, now, for, for now, now. Yeah. you know, and, and I would, I would say this is where diversity, where this is where being inclusive, this is where equity plays a real role. When you are the first, you have to be the best period. When you are the second, the third, the fourth, and then the numbers that we stop tracking, you have the freedom to be more authentically who you need to be. But we got to crack the code of the first in order to make it possible for us to get to those other folks. And unfortunately, as it relates to the bench, there are far too many spaces across this country where we're still working on the first. One of the great pleasures of my life in doing this work around Justice Jackson, who has really become iconic in so many ways, wasn't just her. But because of her, so many other Black women jurists were able to get their names out there to Lanita's point earlier. You know, knowing who they are has made it much easier for us to get them appointments. For It made it much easier for them for us to get them elected in certain places. And let me say, I've been on this judges thing for a while. My grandfather was actually a judge elected. And so seeing the difference that it makes. And I don't want to get away without making some reference to the Black Women's Roundtable report, which Lanita and I both wrote for. And in Lanita's essay, one of the things that she did was not just talk about the people, but the impact that these judges have on people's lives. The issues that they deal with and manage from the bench 
impacts us all. And so I cannot be in the classroom and not just talk about why it is important. It's not, it is about sort of the criminal justice piece for sure, but there's so many issues that these judges manage our lives around and having representation is critical. So building this bench is important, but building representative spaces so that we have someone who understands what it's like to have a relative to be arrested, maybe to be arrested themselves, to have someone who understands what it means to deal with someone who has mental health crisis, to have someone on the bench who understands what it is to try to manage three and four different jobs by raising kids, dealing with the family and trying to manage a household, those lived experiences impact how we apply the laws that are being passed. And as we started this conversation, it is judges who should be on the front line of making sure that those laws actually help us, actually serve us to live in a civil society. Yeah, you know, this is one of the reasons why, Holly, Elenita, when my name is circulated for anything, you know, a couple of months ago, it was circulated as, you know, the party chair consideration, all that stuff like that. And reporters called me and they were like, do you accept this conversation? I'm like, yup. Like, like, they were like, are you really going after this? I wasn't, but I can. And I like, right, like, it's, it's to normalize. Yes. One, the conversation around your name being considered because, you know, just at the basic level, right, there is there is this thing of uh, humbleness and like, you know, oh, no, I don't want to put myself out there. I want to push, you know, push myself forward or whatever. But people do it all the time and we have to be comfortable with that. So I'm I'm never shy away. They're like, people are talking about you being on this council. I'm like, uh-huh, what it do? I could do it. That's why we're friends. I'm the exact same way, Eljoy. I don't even be, I'm not even thinking about certain things and folks say, your name came up. I said, yeah, that's good. And if I'm like, well, here's another name. Let's throw this name in there too. Right, right, (laughs) right. Because then I can never up. It's just like, well, it's not just me. I can't, you know, I'm not the only black woman, you know, so my name can't be circulated for everything. But here are some other, you know, here are some other women, here are some other people, here are some diverse voices that can be brought to the table in that aspect. Now, Holly, just- That's what you're talking, like, it's getting to the table so you can bring more people that's right you know i believe in that i'm looking for the room where we don't have black women because i got a whole bunch of friends that i can pile up in there so that's my life's mission to look for spaces where black women are not and i'm gonna put some black women in there don't ever don't challenge me with a good time and tell me you don't know any because i know plenty we, we, we like know, I'm looking for them so I can put them in these rooms. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, what is it? What was it? Romney? Who? No, was it Romney? Who had the binder full of women? It's <laughs> 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 like they're going to have a binder full of women. It's just like yeah. and, and we got and we got a Google chat. I mean, a group okay. chat that we if I don't know them, somebody in the group chat. Some, somebody going to figure it out. No. Yes. Somebody I know. Romney. Exactly. So, you know, we're talking about this and th- there's some there's a very real, a very present political calculation, Holly, in terms mm. of what we're talking about in terms of federal appointments mm-hmm. because of the conversation regarding the senator who just recently resigned from the judicial committee and we have this window right this window of time 
where the Senate Judiciary Committee needs to do its work to do these hearings on some of these judicial appointments. Can you give us some context in terms of where we are in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So we have six women waiting. Some of them have had their hearings and are simply waiting for the vote. A few need to have hearings. But what happens is, you know, the political climate has an ability to change every two years. So the reason that it's important to try to move the nominations that are already in the queue as fast as possible is because tomorrow is not promised. Hopefully, the Senate remains in a balance in a way that allows us to continue to move nominations forward, but it may not. Hopefully, we continue to have a president who will put forth the names of nominees that reflect our community, but that may not happen. So while the window of opportunity exists politically, it's important for us to move these nominations forward. Now, I don't have usually a lot of great things to say about our Senate. However, I do want to be fair and say that Chairman Dick Durbin, of the, who is from the great state of Illinois, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, has been on top of this. And I appreciate his inclusive nature, that he is in regular contact with Black women on the nominees. He is in regular contact with other communities because he is committed to trying to create a bench and a pipeline for these, for our federal bench that is representative. And I have to give him much credit for that. So I am feeling some confidence that we will begin to get this process moving. But it also just points out how fragile this balance is, that you could have one person who through no fault of their own experiences an illness and, you know, talk about paid sick leave and can't come to work. And it literally stalls out a whole process. That's how fragile the balance is. And that's why elections matter. It just points out that there's something that everything is all connected, which is why you got to vote from your homeowners association all the way up to the president and everything in between because it's all connected. So Lanita, to talk about, you know, you gave some great examples and talking, you know, we hear about these cases that, you know, bubble up into the national discourse. And usually it's regarding something regarding crime. And speaking as someone who watches crime shows all the time, sometimes I'd be watching stuff and I'm like, who is this judge? And then I'd be looking, <laughs> looking up from there. But it's not just about crime, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, here in New York City, where we're dealing with the case, which I just shared this week, dealing with cases of deed theft, right, of people manipulating the system in order to be able to take people's property. There's also what we in New York City, like surrogates court, right, for a lot of us who are do our families are doing GoFundMes, you know, to be able to bury family members or, you know, grand, big mama had the house for a long time. Turns out she ain't got no will. And now that family house has to go it has to go before a judge to determine who owns it or who's going to dispense of the resources because these things weren't in place that makes a huge difference yeah. in terms of these judges knowing family dynamics knowing communities knowing things or whatever to be able to decide one who is the correct heir and this is your property this is your wealth this is the information you know that is brought your family and kept your family together so it's not just 
about criminal actions, like your family having to be before, unfortunately, before, of course, either being a victim or accused of or perpetrator of a crime or things like that. It's also about your property. And we know this country is built on property. It's on your property. It's on if you get a traffic ticket, as you you mentioned, if someone passes away and they don't have a will or even if they have a, a will. If it's being contested, it, it, it's going through court. Your civil action, bankruptcy. Yes, thanks. Thank you, Holly, for that. Like anything, like if if you are, are not even just bankruptcy, but if a creditor sues you for unpaid debt, you know, like it goes through court, and so you are more likely to see a judge before you ever see a state senator, your governor. Like traffic tickets. Like that, that's the biggest thing. Like with traffic, if you get a traffic ticket, you go before a judge. I, I think the other part, like we've been talking about the bench, but the other parts of that are all the other people that you elect that are, are part of the court system. So whether it's a court administrator, whether it's prosecutors, like we just really have to be more in tune with how our elections impact all of those seats, whether they're appointments or not. You know, a lot of people like to talk about, yep, if you're getting a divorce, domestic, it's everything. A lot of people talk about like, the, you know, we may not have gotten all the promises that were, were made in the 2020 election. But when I look back, I see without the election going the way that it does, we don't get a Kristen Clark who is now the first black woman to lead the to, to be confirmed to, to lead the civil rights division of the Department of Justice. You don't have Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson. You don't have all of the other black women who've been appointed to the bench that, that Holly's spoken about. And so we we have to look at the big picture and know that it's more than just it, it's so much more. And so it, it impacts so much more of our daily life than we will ever know. And so don't get distracted on on, on the, the small part. Like you got to look at the big picture and how it impacts everything we do. So we're going to take another break here. And then when we come back, I want to talk about the civics lesson in this, right? What people, what are some actionable items that people can incorporate into their own ongoing civic engagement practice, not just for yourself individually, but for your larger community? Because if you are a student in this class, you are taking this not just for you, but for your community as well. And so what are some of the action items that we need to consider as we talk about building this bench? So we'll take a break here and we'll be right back with more Sunday Civics. How can it be? Welcome back. Now, we've been having this conversation about building this bench up and down, right, from the federal level all the way down to the local level. And, you know, one of the other things that, Lenita, we did not bring into this conversation, there also needs to be an overall reckoning about the process because, you know, I know this to be true in several states, how so many of our court systems are behind (laughs) They are, you know, like you have cases that are taking years to even get to preliminary stages because things are just jammed up. And do we have enough judges or maybe we're just, you know, creating new crimes? We are creating new crimes. We have judges that are slow. They want to blame everything on COVID, but they was backlogged before COVID. So you can't really blame it. Sure was. I think it goes back to the overall theme of holding our judges accountable because whether they're elected straight out, if, if you're not moving your cases, bye-bye. If you're appointed and you have to get what what you call it, affirmed, 
or reaffirm. If you have to get affirmed and you and you're not moving your cases along, bye bye. Cause like nothing's worse. Like I've represented people injured in car accidents. Nothing is worse for you to be being a wreck in 2016 and not getting to trial to 2023. And they're asking you, tell us what you did on that day in 2018 or 2016. Oh, I, and I remember and same situation. I remember being in a car accident and the case took so long. That I randomly got a check like one day, like years later. I was like, what is this for? And they were like, oh, yeah, we finally settled the case. And I was like, what case? What they were talking about, right? And yeah. so you, you know, talk about the different categories of not just crime. I think about as a foster parent, the caseload when sometimes I'm in these courtrooms with, you know, kids. Now I have custody of somebody's child for three or four months longer than I should be only because they can't figure out a court date for another three or four months, right? Like Mm -hmm. those things. And so while yes, the diversity of the bench, but also the levers that we need to have to hold people accountable, should we Mm -hmm. be revisiting these like lifetime appointments and, you know, things like that, or create different mechanisms that hold people more accountable? Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. And I mean, this time it's example one. Sorry. He's over here at been been crazy since day one. Anita tried to tell us. He's been crazy since day one. For him to not be there. Like, well, and and you're right. Not just not just crazy in terms of using those euphemism, but I, you know, one of the things that was circulating during the past couple of weeks is the designing women clips about during those hearings. And, you know, one of the clips we're talking about before we even talk about the sexual harassment stuff and all that kind of stuff, like several bar associations and other legal folks are saying he's not qualified. So what are we even talking about? Exactly. Exactly. And this and this becomes where I think and this is why I love being a part of the National Bar Association, because the National Bar Association isn't just about us as a community of lawyers they are very intentional to understand that us as lawyers are also part of the community. And so some of the things and the programs and just the attitude, I'm a part of the Jackson County Bar, which is our local national bar association in Kansas City, Missouri. And, you know, the things that we do from hosting clinics to sharing information, that's the kind of thing that we need to do. We need to try to separate the distance between the judges and community. Now, a lot of judges will hold themselves apart because they want to maintain that air of impartiality, and I respect that. But at the same time, I'm talking about a systematic thing and being not separated from the law and understanding how the law interfaces and interacts with real people and being conscientious about who those judges are when you show up to court, because you may see their name again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some action items, ladies, that people should consider? Lanita, I'll start with you. For the students in today's class or listening later who are thinking about, okay, what do I do with this information now, right? Because I can't go personally impeach a Supreme Court justice. (laughs) I can be part of a larger coalition if necessary, or I can help identify people in my community or things like that. But what are some other actionable items that people can do to contribute to building a diverse bench of judicial either appointments or elected judges? For me, it's going to be engaging informed voting. We always talk about the importance of voting, but I have to add in informed because it's to know the impact of what does the governor do? What does the mayor have authority to do? 
knowing if you're electing judges, what they are doing. Is it, 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 if it's an appointing body, is the governor appointing those members of the the citizens commission? So knowing all of those things and making sure that when you vote, like you vote with all of those things in mind. We we tend to be such one issue voters, but it, it, it they. All of the voting take it, it impacts all of our daily life every day, whether we recognize it or not. And so we just have to be more informed. Mm-hmm. So Colleen. things like this, the the Sunday class. Sorry, no problem. <laughs> I appreciate it. Really short and simple. Two quick things. One, support your local national bar chapters and support the National Bar Association. This is a community of people that is poised and looking out for your interests. And then be engaged with them. The second, and this is just as importantly, train some lawyers. Encourage young people to be a part of our legal system. Encourage young people to go to law school. Support them while they're in law school because it's going to be hell sometimes. It's going to be tough. And then support their careers. Hire Black lawyers. Hire Black lawyers to represent you. Stay in community with Black lawyers. That is a key way for you to stay engaged and be a positive part of the process and to stay informed. Holly for NBA president. Ooh, Listen, I mean, I'm the boss of officer uh, close here. <laughs> and to that point, Holly, you know, for those who are listening, you're thinking like, OK, that's way too many organizations or too many things to be involved in. You don't, you know, one, if you're a black lawyer, join the association, like be a part of a whatever things or whatever. If you're not, when no one's asking you to join it or like, you know, be on their listserv and all that kind of stuff, but you can do something basic. You know, a judicial race is coming up. You are the tenant association president. You, you know, are on the PTA. You're the, whatever space you're in. Oh, we're going to have judicial elections. Reach out to the bar association. Can you That's send right. somebody to come? And talk to us about like, so you don't have to know everything. That's right. I don't know everything. That's why I bring guests in front of the class. Right? Like yes, bringing lawyer. someone who is knowledgeable to like mm-hmm. tell us the information. Right. Did you do a That's rating? Right. right. That's mm-hmm. what I do with NAACP. I don't know all That's of right. these judges in their records. I bring the bar association president or somebody come and talk to us about why you rated this right. and what should we be considering for this. Right. That's so like right. that is how we're able to use those resources in the spaces that we're in so mm-hmm. that we can be more informed. So Absolutely. being, you know, being civically engaged is being informed and then knowing where to reach out and engage people when you need more information. That's it. Ladies, this time just flew back. (laughs) Yes. Part two. Part two. (laughs) Oh man. I thank you so very much. I want to be a part of this discussion on Clarence Thomas. Oh Lord. I know this is I don't know. I don't know if I dedicate a whole just him. However, what I do, you know, because one of the the, the great things, and people ask this all the time, they're like, this is happening, like the stuff happened in Tennessee and this or whatever, why didn't you do a show on it? I'm like, because you've probably been watching and reading news about it all week, right? You know, the purpose of the this show in this space is to be evergreen, is that you can pick this up once you find the show two years later and it still be information that is timely and relevant for you Love to it. be engaged in whatever point that you enter. So it's not as if I'm ignoring what is happening, you know, all over, but if you're oversaturated with the information or there's no civics lesson or you're getting the daily civics lesson if you're tuned in and paying attention, 
right? We're going to talk about some other things that you can pay attention to that is not being uplifted as much. And so that that's where that space belongs. So I don't know necessarily that I want to do something just on Clarence Thomas, but what I do know is that we want to talk about, you know, similar to what we've had a guest previously talk about, using all of the tools of the Constitution and our laws. We have a process for holding judges accountable and Supreme Court justice accountable. Like then what is the, what is the steps in order for you to do that and why aren't we? And then what do I always say? The people who have the power to do that, which is the Senate and the House, they won't move unless you tell them to which means that you got to talk to them. And I, like I tell my teenager all the time, we don't know what you need unless you say something. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So being able to communicate that. The closed mouth don't get fed. And that's, that's yes. with information yeah. and, and all as well. So yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, ladies. I'm sure you'll be back in some capacity in the future here on Sunday Civics. Uh, Lord, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Holly and Lenita. Thank you for you making time for this. No problem. Thank you all for having me. 